today from the global lane. Chinese agents arrested in New York City. But bigger steps are needed to stop the CCP from operating police stations worldwide. There are more, many more. There are six more uh, overseas police stations in the U.S. soil alone. The Great Chasm. Differences over politics and culture are dividing American Christians. There's a lot of issues that are sort of circulating in the culture and the world. Sadly, in many ways, we're, we're reflecting the world and the fact that we're just as divided as, as everyone else. Are women's rights at risk? A proposed Department of Education rule change would ban schools from keeping transgenders off of female sports teams. This is all about politics, to appease the far-left progressive fringe. And a historic visit at Holocaust Remembrance Ceremonies in Israel. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. This week, the FBI announced the arrest of two Chinese agents who allegedly operated an undeclared police station in New York City. Last January, CBN News told you about how the station was used as a base of operations for Chinese agents to harass and threaten Chinese citizens and dissidents inside the United States. Well, joining us to explain more is China Aid founder and President Bob Fu. Bob, it's always good to talk with you. So tell us about this one, uh, the extensive reach and influence of communist China around the world, right here inside the United States. And I know you and your family have also been victimized. Yes, Gary, thank you for having me again. The CCP is not satisfied with enslaving 1.4 billion Chinese people inside China. They are having a much bigger agenda uh, engaging this uh, very active transnational repression effort in by setting up overseas Chinese police stations in uh, uh, with over a uh, hundred police stations from Paris to New York City to Madrid in Spain. So this week, um, the FBI, uh, uh, I, I'm glad to see they shut down one and arrested uh, two perpetrators and uh, actually, yesterday, according to the New York, New York Post, six more were discovered uh, from New York to Los Angeles, San Francisco, Nebraska, and cities uh, in Minnesota. Uh, so um, the Communist Party are using its uh, uh, agents uh, just to try to use this uh, as a base to harass those who speak against its repressive policies. And I myself, as you mentioned, is one of uh, the victims actually uh, being harassed and uh, besieged, even exiled from my own West Texas home for over three months um, in back to 2020 because of this intensive harassment. You know, the FBI charged dozens of other Chinese national police officers for harassing Chinese right here in the U.S., but those charged are in China. So what do you make of this? Does it go far enough? Aren't there more agents right here in the U.S. across the country that should be targeted by the FBI for arrest or maybe even expulsion? Oh, absolutely. There are more, many more. I mean, as I just mentioned, there are six more uh, overseas police stations in the U.S. soil alone. Bob, also the FBI charged a Chinese agent for infiltrating the video service app Zoom and interfering with a video conference about the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. You were there at Tiananmen, and I'm sure that didn't surprise you about Zoom, did it? It's not surprising at all. Just like uh, what the Communist Party is uh, manipulating and using WeChat, take 
TikTok and other social uh, uh, softwares. They really want to control, it seems, the, uh, the narrative in the West about China. So why do you think the FBI acted at this time? They've had knowledge of this for many months. What role might the Pentagon leaks about the four Chinese spy balloons have played in the timing of this? Why now, Bob? I think when the Communist Party sent a physical uh, uh, two bus, school bus sized uh, balloon, spy balloon, hovering over many uh, American states and uh, collecting uh, military information, how could any administration, administration uh, sit idly and steal? So I think the uh, current administration has uh, been under tremendous pressure, public pressure, uh, to really do something about it. And uh, so there are a lot of Chinese spies in almost every university campuses in the U.S. And all the uh, Chinese uh, so-called visiting scholars uh, the, who receive funding from the Chinese Communist Party has to sign a special form to spy inside the U.S., uh, not only on the U.S. target, but a fellow Chinese as well. And we've reported about the arrival of members of the persecuted Mayflower Church, recently granted asylum in the U.S. They would be likely targets for China harassment here. So how are they reacting? Is this good news for them or not about these arrests and these uh, charges? The Communist Party's goal is to for the overseas Chinese uh, to continue to live in fear. Unfortunately, from the Chinese churches in North America uh, to the ordinary even uh, Chinese Americans here uh, in, uh, living in the U.S. for years, they're still kind of uh, being threatened. So the Mayflower Church uh, happily arrived miraculously uh, with the freedom accepted by the U U.S. Uh, on the on the uh, on the uh, Good Friday. Um, but uh, one of their first questions: uh, Are we free from fear? Are we free from? further intimidation. So really, uh, we cannot guarantee that. We have to, of course, exercise caution for the safety. But the best uh, tool is really uh, to um, fight against it, to expose the those perpetrators. If you put them on the indictment list, uh, that's a deterrence. Uh, I think uh, that will tell to other perpetrators to be careful, to not to do further harm. Okay, I know our viewers are praying for the members of the Mayflower Church now safe here in the U.S. We pray, and uh, also for the work of China Aid. Bob Fu, China Aid President, thank you, Bob, for taking the time to share your insights. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Gary, for having me once again. Lord bless you and bless all the CBM viewers. Former President Donald Trump's trial and ongoing political drama. An upcoming election season promising more nastiness and mudslinging. Leadership issues dividing Southern Baptists and United Methodists. Political and cultural differences are pitting evangelicals against one another. So which road provides the best way back to Christian unity, reconciliation, and understanding? Well, joining us is award-winning writer, best-selling author, columnist, and pastor Dan Darling. His latest book is Agents of Grace, how to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loved. Dan, it's so good to talk with you at a time when Americans really need some godly advice here. It seems like the country, even evangelical Christians, are suffering from deep divides, even anger in many cases. So how did we get here and what happened to cause the division? 
Well, I think we got here for a number of reasons. You know, we're in the middle, in the midst of a disruptive age uh, with the um, digital revolution. There's been there's so many ways for us to communicate. Uh, many of our conversations are mediated through screens instead of face to face. And there's a lot of issues that are uh, sort of circulating in the culture and the world uh, that are uh, dividing people. And so Christians uh, are are sadly, in many ways, we're, we're reflecting the world and the fact that we're just as divided as, as everyone else. But, you know, Jesus calls us to something better. He said that um, the world would know that we are his by the way we love each other. So I'm really asking folks, Christians, to um, really concentrate on the important things worth fighting for, the truth that has been handed down to us from Scripture, and really be more open-handed about the things that are important but not ultimate. Well, let's talk a little bit about those those issues, the important ones, uh, because evangelicals are facing some serious issues in their churches. And I'm, I'm thinking of the split in the United Methodist Church over same-sex marriage and homosexual leadership, Southern Baptist and Saddlebra uh, Saddleback Church over female pastors. So how do we unify without compromising our biblical values and beliefs? And of course, there are different interpretations of those beliefs. Well, I think there are some issues that rise to the level of of Christian orthodoxy that are worth fighting for. So when you talk about um, sexual ethics, you know, um, this is pretty clear in Scripture. It's something that Christians uh, can't yield on, that we have to be uh, resolute and stand for it with, with courage and with compassion, uh, with courage and civility. I think on other issues, you know, denominations organize differently. Southern Baptists are complementarian uh, when it comes to the issue of, of, of uh, pastors and who can lead, even though we, we feel like there's a, a lot of leadership opportunities uh, for women in other areas. But other denominations feel differently. And, uh, you know, these are things that we, we wrestle with internally as a family matter, Southern Baptist, but also try to be open-handed toward folks who disagree with us on this and really, you know, partner together uh, with those who um, believe the truth uh, so that we can advance the gospel. Well, does restoring unity then to the body mean we have to keep politics out of the church? Because I know many Christians would say our nation is in its current state because not enough Christians have gotten involved in government and politics to advance godly values. Well, I do think it's important that Christians steward their citizenship. You know, we've been given a an opportunity with a voice and a vote here to shape our communities, to shape our cities, to shape our country. I think we would be disobedient to the word where Jesus urges us to love our neighbors ourselves, or where Jeremiah 29 says we should seek the welfare of our cities. We'd be disobedient to that if we didn't speak out, if we didn't try to shape the communities in which we live. But I think we need to do it with a distinctly Christian voice. Uh, 1 Peter 3.15 says that Christians should have an answer for every person for the hope that lies within us, but we should do it with gentleness and kindness. And so there's a way to have courage on these issues and stand up for what is right and help shape our communities. Our country needs a bold prophetic church, a uh, bold prophetic witness, but yet we can do it with compassion and civility, knowing that our ultimate goal is to persuade people that Jesus Christ is the way uh, to life and happiness, that Jesus Christ is the way to know God, to have peace with God. So Dan, how do we disagree well? Well, I think we disagree well by saying, you know, when it's among Christians, to say, look, this brother or sister, I disagree with on this. Here's why, but I I love them. And, uh, you know, there are issues even within our own church families where people might come down on a different issue on, on something that particularly that's secondary, tertiary. And we might say, I don't land where they land, but I love them, and I'm going to love them through this. And even in society as Christians, as we deeply disagree with 
our neighbors who don't believe the way we do. Uh, we can stand for the truth. We can uh, not back down on what we believe, but also we can treat our neighbors uh, and see them as God sees them, as people made in the image of God and uh, people for whom Jesus died. And finally, where do forgiveness and reconciliation come in, not only for America and the church, but also in our homes and our families? Well, forgiveness is, is so important. You know, forgiveness is simply not allowing uh, bitterness to take hold of our hearts, not, not swallowing poison and hoping someone else gets hurt. Uh, and we can only forgive because Jesus has forgiven us, because we have committed a debt against him that is much greater than what has been committed against us. Now, forgiveness is different than reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two people. Forgiveness, all of us can do through God's strength, but reconciliation takes two people. Sometimes that's possible. We should pursue that. The Bible says we should live in peace as much as, a, a, as lies within us, but it's not always possible. It takes two people. And there's even an even higher level called trust that um, where you, if you've been hurt by somebody, will you trust them again? And that takes an even uh, greater level. And that's not always possible either, right? If the church treasurer runs off with uh, the money, the church money, embezzles money, you're going to forgive him or her, but you're probably not going to put them in charge of the money again. So I think we have to have understand the differences between forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust. But we should always pursue forgiveness. To carry around unforgiveness and bitterness is, is, um, it affects our leadership, it affects our families, it affects everything that we do. And, and God is calling us to draw on the forgiveness He has given to us in Christ so that we can forgive others. Well, it all comes down to love, doesn't it? Okay. The book it really is, does. It really does come to love. The book is Agents of Grace, how to bridge divides and love as Jesus loved. Pastor Dan Darling, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you, sir, and uh, appreciate the great work that you're doing here. A proposed Biden administration rule change would block schools from prohibiting transsexuals from participating in female sports. The proposed change comes after at least 16 states enacted laws banning biological male athletes from competing with females. The change would enshrine pro-trans sports participation into a U.S. Department of Education gender equity law known as Title IX. Well, here to set us straight on this is education strategist and commentator Angela Morabito. She's a former press secretary for the U.S. Department of Education and now serves at DFI. Well, Angela, it's good to see you again and talk with you. So tell us, can the president of the United States just nullify the will of the people in at least 16 states with a stroke of the pen? Your thoughts? Well, Gary, it's great to be with you, but I wish I had better news to share. Uh, what the Biden administration is trying to do is uh, unravel more than a half century of, of progress for women's rights and women's equality under Title IX. He knows that this is tremendously unpopular, that the American public believes women's sports are for women. It's right there in the name. But because he knows it's so unpopular, he's trying to use this federal rulemaking process to undo Title IX, which is federal law. Well, trans rights seems to be a big issue for the political left in this country, Angela. So why is that when only about 1.7 million Americans over the age of 13 identify as transsexual? That's only about one half of 1% of the entire population of the United States. So why does a very small group of people have so much influence over Biden and others? This is all about politics. The Biden administration is willing to sacrifice the rights of women and opportunities for this next generation of girls to appease the far left progressive fringe. 
this isn't about what's doing doing what's best for students. It's about making a, a political statement, and that's what he's doing here. This doesn't put students first. It would actually do a lot of harm to the next generation if it's allowed to go forward. Don't trans athletes have rights too? Trans athletes do have rights. In fact, all students have equal rights under Title IX to access an education free from discrimination on the basis of sex. That has been true since Title IX was enacted, and, and nothing we're doing goes against that. In fact, we're the ones upholding it. It's the Biden administration that's trying to redefine sex in the law to include gender identity. They're playing this word, ga word game, rather, trying to warp the meaning. Uh, and, and what it does is really weaponize Title IX so that it harms the, the very women it was created to protect. Angela, you've been in Washington a long time, so what is going on? Why the sudden push for trans rights that we're seeing around the country? It is all about politics, unfortunately, but if there's any silver lining here, Gary, it's that we have a chance to stand up against it. Uh, the Defense of Freedom Institute has just led a coalition letter to the Biden administration asking for the public to have more time to comment on this proposed rule. Uh, we also have a, a comment portal that helps people make their voice heard on this rule. And by law, the Department of Ed has to consider every single comment it receives. So if you go to dfipolicy.org, you can submit a public comment. We've made it super simple for you to do, and it allows you to have a say, which is your right as an American, on this proposed rule. Okay, you mentioned a little bit about this. I, I know this rule change doesn't go into effect immediately. It'll take some time. So explain what the process is now with this. What happens next? Sure. So what we're, we're in a period right now called the public comment period, where the American public has a chance to weigh in. Uh, on the Biden administration's first Title IX rule that was really about redefining sex in the law, that shattered the record for the number of public comments received. And now, of course, some of them are supportive, but I believe a great majority of the American public knows that men are men and women are women, and they don't want to see these far-left progressive politics inflicted on children. So now we're in the public comment for this rule about women's athletics. So we have until early to mid-May to chime in on this rule and tell the Biden administration how the public feels about it. Okay, mid-May, that's not far away. So I know right. that states that ban transsexuals from participating in female sports are likely to challenge this rule. So what can people do about it? Because it seems like the battle is now in the courts, not in the hands of the people. Well, not yet. I, I believe this will end up in the hands of the courts, but right now is actually the perfect time for people to submit comments. This is our window right now uh, to, to have a say on this rule. So uh, I would encourage people to, to act fast. Go to dfipolicy.org uh, and, and make your voice heard in protecting Title IX because this window uh, is, seems to be closing fairly soon, and we want to make sure that everyone has a chance to be heard. Do, do you really think the president's going to hear the people on this? Because it seems like he just does what he wants to do. That's a really good question. And, you know, while the Biden administration does seem to just override what, what people want left and right, especially when it comes to parental rights and education and things like school choice. Uh, by law, the Department of Ed has to consider every single comment it receives. That doesn't mean it has to respond to every single individual comment, but it means in the preamble to their final rule, they have to explain why they did what they did. And we want to make sure that they can't get away with trampling on the rights of women or undoing what Title IX was created to protect. Okay, education strategist, uh, Angela Morabito. Thank you for setting us straight today. We appreciate it, Angela. Thank you so much, Gary.
This week, Americans observed Holocaust Remembrance Week, or the Days of Remembrance. It's a time of reflection on the six million Jews who were exterminated as part of Nazi Germany's final solution campaign. This week, Israelis held special ceremonies marking the 80th anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Attendee Ephraim Moll lost both of his parents at Auschwitz. He showed CBN News their names in the Yad Vashem Book of Names of Holocaust Victims. And the grandfather of 86-year-old Robert Bonefill was also a Holocaust victim. Bonefill's family was saved by Christians in Greece. Here is the name of my grandfather, David Israel, the archbishop of the town. His name was Ezekiel. Uh, he was... Uh, uh, very, very friendly of us and saved uh, my father and us. Folks, many people worldwide still deny the Holocaust. These family members and thousands of others are witnesses, victims of the evil of Nazi genocide. But the threat to Jewish existence isn't over. It continues today. Iran may soon have a nuclear weapon, and the Islamic Republic has repeatedly threatened to destroy Israel. And this year, history was made during Israel's Holocaust remembrance. The exiled crown prince of Iran, Reza Pahlavi, and his wife attended the commemoration ceremonies in Jerusalem. Pahlavi tweeted out, they are, quote, dedicated to working toward the peaceful and prosperous future that the people of our region deserve. From the children of Cyrus to the children of Israel, we will build this future together in friendship. Folks, whether it is Jews, Rwandan Tutsis, Uyghur Muslims in China, or the Rohingya in Myanmar. We must educate our children about the evils of genocide. As Christian people, we must stand against hatred, against religious minority groups, and evil that can easily lead to genocide. In the past, we've failed to act urgently to stop it. Well, instead of only reciting a slogan several times a year, we must commit ourselves to taking sacrificial action. And we must sincerely and truly mean it when we say... Never again. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, our broadcast affiliates, YouTube, and now on Rumble. And until next time, be blessed.